me. You guys have a good week? Yes. So, so? No? Maybe? Kind of? Don't know? If you're not awake, you're at Harmony Baptist Church. It's Sunday morning. It's time for us to get into the Word. Uh, we got to go to Austin yesterday, so um, I ate home sliced pizza and Franklin's barbecue, so I'm a very happy person that I could even fit in these pants this morning. Um, but we had a good time uh, hanging out as a family. Uh, always such a blessing to do that. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead. Open them up with me to the book of Ephesians. We're in the middle of our study on Ephesians. And I just love books like this that challenge you. This should be scripture. This should be the kind of book you go to and when you read it. It's the kind that's going to step all over your toes. It's the kind that's going to cut through to your heart. It's the kind that's going to talk directly to the things that you are doing in your life. And in many places, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. But you know what? That's good. Because what Christianity is supposed to be about is not you being comfortable, but you being rebuilt from the ground up to look like God the Father. And what you should see happening in your life is that because of the presence of this unbelievable power, this unbelievable love, this unbelievable force, you are constantly stretching. You are constantly growing. If at any point in your life as a Christian, you look back and go, I am the same today as I was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, then something is wrong. You are in the relationship with an unbelievable force that should be changing you and growing you day in and day out. To stay stagnant is not to stay stagnant, it's actually to fall backwards. And so we have to make sure that when we come to God's relationship with Him, if we don't see ourselves growing and changing, what that means is, is you're going through the motions, but you're not actually in the presence of the Almighty God on a day-to-day basis. And brothers and sisters, there's a huge difference between those two things. Many of us do things that are Christian activities. Very few of us daily wake up and find ourselves in the presence of the Almighty God. And the difference between those things is night and day. The reality is, is if you're just trying to adopt the Christian philosophy, the ethics, the morals, you're going to find this unbelievably difficult and lacking. One, you're going to find God has this unbelievably strict code of morality that's hard to live by, in fact, is impossible to live by in your own power. And you're going to find that you're not really experiencing a lot of benefits from trying to live that way. And so you're going to kind of feel like a hamster on a wheel, like just, I'm always moving, but I'm not really getting anywhere. If, on the other hand, you are in the presence of the Almighty God on a day-to-day basis, you will be a person on fire. You will never think about the cost. You will never think about what's required of you because you will realize that you are in pursuit of something so beyond what you have ever deserved. You're joyful to be on the journey. And this becomes the difference between those who act like Christians and those who truly are on fire for God. The problem has become in our society and in our churches, we have a lot of both. And we have a lot of people who are just kind of going through the motions and they've changed what people expect Christians to be. In the first century after Christ died, Christians were not known as Christians. They were known as the people of the way. Why? You could watch them, and you knew 
they were Christians. Why? How they talked, how they lived, how they had their marriages, how they raised their children, how they worshipped, how they dealt with stress, how they lived day to day, screamed out to the world, this is a follower of Jesus. In fact, there are many examples in the New Testament of non-Christians watching Christians act and go, you were with Jesus, weren't you? You belonged to him, don't you? You know, I know that because the only guy I've ever seen be that bold before was him. Your boldness reminds me of him. Brothers and sisters, that was common occurrence. Now, just don't raise your hand because it'd be embarrassing, right? But just think for a second. When's the last time someone looked at you and went, man, when you did that, it reminded me of Jesus. When you did that, I saw Christ standing before me. It's funny, I work at a company where my father used to work. And so every now and then I'll find myself in a meeting with somebody who he used to work with. And sometimes I'll see them like not focusing during the meeting and they'll catch me afterwards and they'll be like, you're just like Jim. The way you talk about things, the way you use your hands when you talk, when you use that, it was just like your father. All I could see when you did that was your dad. That's how it should be for us with Christ. People should be looking at you on a regular basis going, man, in that moment... I saw Jesus standing here. In that moment, I felt his love. In that moment, I saw his power. The reality, though, is most of us, we don't even care to strive for that. Most of us have lowered the bar of Christianity so low, I don't even know why you're here sometimes. Your goal is like, make it through the day. Hey, get me through Friday. Help me just get by. Nowhere in that book do you hear anything about getting by. That book is about soul-changing, life-changing, unbelievable love that shakes the world, changes the course of history, and brings dead men back to life. And yet somehow we've turned it into, please help me have a better marriage this week. Please give me a little bit more peace this week. We have so settled for weakness that we're missing everything that God is promising. And in the book of Ephesians, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to write to this church that he loves and go, wake up, folks. Wake up. Remember what God has done. Remember who he is. And remember what you're called to. Because day to day, you are not living in a way that proclaims who your God is, what he is capable of, and what our kingdom is about. There was a recent study and it looked at Christians' behaviors in comparison to non-Christians. And you know what they found? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just as many Christians are addicted to drugs as non-Christians, just as many Christians have affairs as non-Christians, just as many Christians have divorces and wayward children and go to prison and do drugs and any statistic you would ever want to look at, there is absolutely no difference between Christians and non-Christians. Now, if you're a non-Christian, you're sitting there going, well, guys, something seems off there. Supposedly, you have this relationship with this amazing God who's this unbelievable power, unbelievably loving. You've been opened up your eyes to this unbelievable truth, and yet it's changing nothing in your life. Nothing. Why would I be part of this? Why would I join that? Why would I sign up for that? Basically, you wake up early on Sundays, you throw a few bucks in the plate, and what? That's supposed to make you feel better about yourself? 
There's nothing different about you guys. And that's what Paul's trying to get to. Being a Christian means you're supposed to look like the Father. People should be able to look at you and see Dad. And if Dad's an awesome guy, there should be a little bit of awesome showing up in your day-to-day life. Now get me, we're not perfect. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. But more often than not, people should be able to look at the actions of our lives and go, I see something amazing in you. I see something amazing happening with you. If that's not happening, then the relationship with God is broken. Now, I'm going to sum up Ephesians chapter 3 for us today, and we're going to really dive into Ephesians chapter 4. But there's one thing I want to give you before we jump there, and it's kind of what I call the key to this series. The reality of what Christianity wants to achieve is impossible. God's goal with His Son Jesus is to bring the dead back to life. God's goal with Christianity is to take imperfect, flawed beings and build a perfect, eternal kingdom. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. No man can do it. God can, though. It's impossible for man, but unbelievably possible with God. And so what all of us have to remember as we go to Ephesians, we're all going to get hit. He's going to talk about sexual morality. He's going to talk about marriages. He's going to talk about gender roles. He's going to talk about raising children. And guess what? At one of those chapters, each and every one of you will go, "Ah, not doing so great there. I'm not doing so great there. Here's the reality. That's expected. God knows you doing this in your own power will only lead to failure. But if you stop leaning on yourself and trust on Him, then this can happen. And so the picture of this is what we find in John 15.5. Jesus gives us this beautiful analogy to explain the relationship that we the children are to have with Him, the leader. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's he saying? He's saying, don't try to go get your own nutrients. Don't try to fill yourself up. Don't go chasing after your own fuel source. Come to me and I will feed you. Come to me and I will pour my power, my love, my grace, my forgiveness into your body. And it's only when you're connected to this source of power that you'll be able to achieve the things I'm asking you to do. If you don't connect to me, guess what? Can't happen. Can't happen. All of you should think of yourselves almost like an electrical appliance. You could be the coolest appliance in the world, but if I unplug you, guess what? You're just a paperweight. You have to be connected to the right source of power to accomplish the things you were destined to do by God. And the problem for many of us is we are not waking up each day going, God, I fall on my knees and I come to you. Lord, what would you like me to do today? Here's how most of us do it. Most of us go, I got a dream. I got a plan. Today I'm going to live it out. When we get to the end of our limits... When we run out of power, when we run out of strength, when we run out of patience, when we're at our end, we go, God, help me out. I can't go any farther. I've gone as far as I can go. I need you now. We use them as our backup plan. We use them as secondary. 
The key is he is primary. Each day I do not lean on myself, I lean on him. And that's how the things that sound impossible become day-to-day realities for us. That's the key. So know this. If you read this and go, that's hard. It's not hard, it's impossible. It's only possible if he's by your side. And that's what changes the whole course of direction for Christians. Is that it's not that they're amazing people. It's they have an awesome God who is using them. Told you before, this room is nothing different than a big AA meeting. We are all people who could stand up and go, Hi, my name's Luke and I'm addicted to sin. We could all do that. This is not a collection of highly talented, awesome people. It's a collection of dirty sinners who need a Savior, but we've been blessed because we found one. And now what we get to experience is day in and day out, He keeps moving us forward, changing us, and rebuilding us. And so the good things we do are not a testimony to our own greatness, they're a testimony to His. But guess what? Every day, every single day, we have to fight that addiction to sin. Every moment. And so we have to keep that in mind as we look at what God is saying to us. So let me sum up Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 really sets as the conclusion to the first opening of this book. And so in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has been trying to remind us of a few things. The first is, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You were dead in your trespasses. You were going to go to hell. You had no way out. But then what happened? God in His unbelievable love and mercy saved you. He took you from facing death. He gave you life. And above that, He made you royalty in heaven. You have an awesome, amazing, loving God. Remember that. And the reason He wants you to remember that is once you realize you're Christ, He can defeat death, well then all of a sudden any other problem you lay at His feet starts to feel small. When you go, this guy can literally defeat death, I don't think your financial troubles worry Him. When you go, this guy can defeat Satan, I don't think the the strife in your marriage is something He looks at and goes, oh, I can't fix that. Anything else you lay at his feet after seeing that truth, you realize, small potatoes. In comparison to what he's already done, he can absolutely defeat this. And so he's trying to remind his people of The second thing he's reminding them of is, you've been called to be one family. As Christians, it is not about us. And to be honest, that is the hardest part of the whole thing. We are unbelievably selfish people. Even the best of us. Unbelievably selfish. Think how, what percentage of your thoughts on a daily basis are consumed by your needs and your wants. A huge amount. A huge amount. Even just like subconscious ones you don't even really like intend to think about are about you. We're just self-driven people. That's how it works. And so what he's trying to call us throughout, throughout the first beginning chapters is remember, as a Christian, you are the servant, he is the Lord. You have given yourself over to God because of his amazing love and you've said, Father, everything I have and all that I am is yours. Use it to build your kingdom in any way, any way you choose. God, if you want to make me the, the, the floor sweeper in your kingdom, I'll do it. 
If you want to make me the toilet cleaner in the kingdom of heaven, I will do it. Because it's better to do that than to be a king in my own kingdom. Any way you can use me, use me. Now, a lot of us miss that. A lot of us, we're actually asking God to, to bless us. We're going, God, I'll come to you if you'll give me stuff. The reality is, it's actually we're like, I am so desperate to be part of your kingdom. I'll do anything. I'll take any role. Because, man, Father, I just need to be with you. I just need to be where you're at. It's a completely different way to think. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, two big themes come out. The first is this. In Ephesians 3.6, says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers to the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what's he saying? The gospel makes us all equal. No matter what our DNA is, no matter where we come from, no matter any of those things that are beyond our control, those distinctions no longer matter when we come to the gospel of Christ. The gospel, the blood of Christ, washes over us and makes us family. And from that point forward, the only thing that matters is the family. And let me get you clear on something. The family is not Harmony Baptist Church. I do not think for a second that when you get to heaven, that God is going to look at you and go, great job at Harmony Baptist Church. You're here because of what you did at Harmony Baptist Church. That was my favorite little church. He's going to go, you're here because you served my son and you were part of the church. We should truly have such a focus on the church that if one day we woke up and realized we would grow the kingdom by shutting the doors here, we would go, do it. If I knew shutting this building would actually grow the church, we should be so sold out to the church that we would go, do it. If it grows your kingdom, God, use us any way you want to. Now the reality is, as human beings, we start to get our own little kingdoms. And we, and we want to start going, well, I mean, we do things the right way here. You know, yes, those are my brothers down the road, but they're, you know, they're a little backwards in the way they handle things. Right? And we start to think about our kingdom. No, I have no kingdom. You have no kingdom. We are only belong, people who belong to his kingdom. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only focus. We have to keep that in mind. The second thing that he's trying to get us to focus on in chapter 3 is this. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. So again to that point, this is the God that can do things you can't even think about. You and I literally cannot comprehend what God can do. His power is of such a magnitude, you, our brains can't even understand it. Can't even understand it. So why does he keep hampering on this point? Because the point is, you and I actually on a day-to-day -day basis continually say, God can't do that. God can't do that. God can't do that. And what Paul's trying to emphasize here is when you say that, you're lying. When you say God can't do something in your life, it's not because of him. It's because of you. Understand that. Brothers and sisters, we are the ones that often limit what God is capable of doing in our lives. Not Him. He is never afraid. 
He is never scared. He is never worried. He has never run into something where he goes, I really wanted to do that, but I couldn't. He is always, always capable. And so we have to keep that in mind with our lives. Because all of us talk about having faith, but many of us don't live faithfully. Many of us, because of fear and doubt that God will come through, we do not make the right decisions. Because we're scared. And what Paul's trying to say here is, remember who your dad is. If you really, truly believe that, fear should not be a motivator in your life. Fear should be something you cast aside because you know no matter what happens, it only happens if God the Father wants it to happen. Now, chapter 4. This is where we start stepping on toes. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, this is Paul talking, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, I know that's one sentence, but let me just call that out to you. Who arrested Paul? The Romans. He's in a Roman jail. He's got Roman guards. And he's sitting there and he goes, I am a prisoner for who? For Jesus. Paul never looks at anything in his life as a circumstance beyond the control of God. Do you understand that? Paul doesn't look at sickness. Paul doesn't look at persecution. Paul doesn't look at the sins of people enacted upon him as being any outside force. He goes, I am a prisoner today because of one reason. Christ wants me to be a prisoner. So today, I am a prisoner for Jesus. Do you understand that mindset? There are so many of us who look at the circumstances that impact our lives and we go, God, if only you could overcome these. Instead of realizing God may actually be using those to do things in your life. You and I are so focused on the temporary. We are so focused on ourselves that we miss a God who's focused on eternity and the world does things that can cause suffering in our own individual lives. Paul looked at it and goes, I'm a prisoner, not by circumstance or chance. I'm a prisoner because God wants me to be. And if this is where he wants me, I will be here gladly. Because I know I'm doing my part for the kingdom. This is how you start to find joy in the darkest moments. Because what you realize is those dark moments aren't happening by chance or accident. They're happening with divine intention. For God to build the kingdom, change hearts, and to show his light in the midst of darkness. It completely changes the way that you're thinking. Some of you wake up on Monday morning and go, I hate my job. In fact, to be reality, most of you are starting to think about how much you hate your Monday morning job already. And most of you are going, man, if I could just get through it. Paul looks at you and goes, do you think you're at that job by chance? God has put you there. He has put you there as his ambassador to reflect his light and to reflect his love. And every day that you walk in there and you ignore that opportunity, you miss a gift that God is giving you. I am a prisoner to Christ, is what he says. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What's he saying? He's saying, your actions could never save you. The one thing that makes you different from all other religions in the entire world is that every other religion teaches in some shape, way, or form you can earn salvation. You being smart enough, you being enlightened enough, you doing enough good works, you giving enough money will make you good enough to get to heaven. Christianity goes, you can never earn it. The standard for heaven is perfection. So the moment you made one mistake, you were out. You can't earn it. It was a gift given to you. But be worthy of that gift. See, there's a huge distinction there. Just because you could earn the gift doesn't mean that once it's given to you that you mistreat it. Many of us are children who have been given this unbelievably expensive gift and then we mistreat it. We beat it up, we scratch it, we throw it in the mud and we mistreat it. Paul's saying, don't you get you could never have earned this? So when it's given to you, cherish it. No, you can't earn salvation, but it's been given to you. Live in a way that's worthy of it. Act, talk, live, work, be in a way, day in, day out, that screams to people, you have this gift. And this gift has changed you. It's made you different. And here's what he starts to lean on. If it doesn't, I don't know that you have it. This is one of those things that if it's present in you, you can't hide it. It just shows itself. It's like I've told you before, right? If you ever have to ask somebody and you really don't know the answer, do you love me? They don't love you. Whenever someone loves you, even if they've never said it, you know it. Why? Because it's in every word, it's in every action, it's in every behavior. Everything you see that they do to you shows they care about you. They sacrifice for you. Well, if the presence of God is in your life, it will be apparent. You won't be able to hide it. That's what Paul's driving at here. Verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he, held, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens and the earth that he might fill all things. So all he's pointing to here is the work of Christ. This is the man who died, rose to heaven, also descended to hell. He is king of everything. Nothing is beyond his scope. Nothing is beyond his reason. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
What he's saying is you're being pulled together by God to be this functioning body. And that body only works when it is being led by the Father. The moment you're not lockstep with Him, the moment you're not walking His way, the body stops to function the correct way. You've got to be in tune with that Spirit. This is the one that has raised up every single tool to accomplish His work. Are you following Him? Are you following Him? There's a key verse here in 2 Timothy that kind of, to me, sums this up. In 2 Timothy chapter 2.22, he says this, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Are you different today than you were the day you met Christ? Are you different today than you were a week ago? A month ago? A year ago? There should be visible progression in your steps to getting closer and closer to God. There are some of you who are like 15-year-olds still eating baby food. You haven't learned to chew. You haven't learned to swallow. You haven't learned to process. Yes, time has gone by, but you're just still sitting there eating baby food. And God's going, when are you going to grow up? Something's wrong. Like, hey, we all mature at different paces, right? But like if we were looking at a 15-year-old who was eating baby food with his mommy feeding him, we would go, something's wrong. Something's off. Something needs to be addressed there. There's some of you today who know this book no better than you did the day you came to meet the Lord. There's some of you today who can't even explain the gospel, can't share your testimony, couldn't even tell people what Christ has done for them, let alone for you. That should be a wake-up call. That should be a wake-up call to us that something is off, something is wrong. We have to mature, we have to grow, we have to progress. Otherwise, something is missing. Look at verses 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Do you hear him getting a little angry? He's like, you guys, you're walking like people who don't even know Jesus. Do you understand what kind of insult that is? You learned him better than that. You know him better than that. Kind of reminds me, did you ever have those speeches from your dad when you were a kid? I'd have those moments where he'd look at me and go, that's not what a grade list does. And you know that. You were raised better than that. Man, those were the worst. I always hated the, I'm not mad at you, I'm disappointed in you. Stung worse. That's what Paul's saying here. Ephesians, you have seen Christ. You have watched Him. You know the power. You know the love. You know the mercy. You know the grace that is in Him. How do you keep walking the way you are? You guys walk in a way that nobody can tell a difference between you. You walk in a way that no one even knows that you know who Jesus is. Wake up. 
different. Every time you're not, you insult who He is. And frankly, you know what? That's what America is saying to Christians right now. I don't think your God's all that impressive. Because the only time I get to see Him is in you guys. You're not that impressive. If you're the evidence of what He can do in this world, I'll pass. Do you understand that statement? Do you understand that statement? To me, it's be like if, if, if you ask my children about who I was as a father, and the way they described me was so poor, you're like, eh, I don't need to meet that guy. That would hurt. You would hope at least your children would describe you in such a way that people would go, man, that sounds like a cool guy. Sounds like a good person. I'd like to meet them one day. But man, if your own kid describes you in such a way that people are like, eh, what does that say? Paul's going, Ephesians, you're the ones who were saved by him. He died on a cross for you. He spilled his blood from you. He's brought you back from the dead. And yet you live in such a way that nobody's interested in meeting your God. What's wrong? Something's off. I want to give you an example of this from the world. Anybody heard of Planet Fitness? Planet Fitness is one of the biggest gyms in America. Do you know what's funny? We are getting fatter as a nation, but our gym membership and our amount of our fitness equipment being bought is increasing. So we buy more fitness stuff, we go to more gyms, we sign more memberships than we ever had before, but we're also the worst health we've ever been. Now, Planet Fitness is unique because this is their marketing. This is what they say. At Planet Fitness, no bodybuilders are allowed. There's no grunting allowed. There's no dropping of weights allowed. There's no personal training, and there's no judgment. And every Monday, we have free pizza for our members. <laughs> In fact, if you go Google Planet Fitness, you will read stories of them kicking out people who were too fit. There was a lady in Minnesota, she was working out too hard, she was making the heavier people feel bad, so they asked her to leave and gave her her money back. They did not want her to be part of their gym. Because their gym is out of shape friendly. Their gym should make all of us feel comfortable to go there. Now let me show you this gym. This gym is called Jim Jones. Now, their name's offensive, yes, but you'll understand why when you read what they're about. At Jim Jones, they say this. Jim Jones is not a cozy place. There are no televisions, no machines, and no comfortable spots to sit. And there are no mirrors. We are committed to the art of suffering. That's their marketing material. They are committed to the art of suffering. They will revoke memberships if people don't change. If you join their gym and they do not see results, do you know what they'll do? They will revoke your membership and go, we don't want you to be part of us. Their main gym location, where they built from, is in Salt Lake City, Utah. To work out there is invitation only. Invitation only. Why? Because at this gym, they care that you actually change. What they want to see is if you're a member of Jim Jones, people will know it. Because you sure as heck won't look like the way you did a month ago. Any member of Jim Jones that you see, you go, that guy's fit. They're in shape. No one would ever meet a member of their gym and go, you work out? 
you run into people from Planet Fitness all the time. And you go, you, you, work, you work out? Oh, that's, yeah, great. That's awesome. I share this with you because to me, this is the church. There are some of us, we have joined the Church of Planet Fitness. No judgment, no accountability. We'll never talk about sin. We'll never make you feel bad. You're a great person just the way you are. And if you never, ever change, we'll be happy to have you. It's not the church God built. God hates that church. Because guess what? When you are part of His church and you don't change, you don't know Him. The reality is when you're part of the church and you don't change, you're part of a building that's labeled itself a church. But you are not actually part of the Spirit-filled body that is led by Christ. And that's the problem. Some of us think that because we wake up on Sunday morning and we drive to a place that has a sign outside that says church, and that we sit and we listen to somebody talk for an hour, that we're part of the church. The church is not a location. The church is a way of life. It's a sacrifice where you go, it's not about me, it's about Him. It's about a kingdom that will change this world. And I will change and I will be different. And I wish we'd get a little bit more like this. It should be a thing that if at our church, if you're here for a year and you don't change, you should expect me or Joe to go, we need to talk. We need to talk. Because you came to join a life-changing organism and you haven't changed at all. Which means something's not working here. But we don't do this anymore. Why? Because we might offend somebody. Or maybe they won't come to church next week. We have to change our mentalities. We have to be different. Now here's the sad part. It won't happen for all of us. Revelation. God warns us about this. Revelation, God lists seven churches. Churches that proclaim Him and say they belong to Him. Of the seven, most of them aren't following Him. He says there's the church in Ephesus that's forsaken its first love. There's a church in Simra who would suffer persecution because they're the ones that stayed faithful. And because they stayed faithful, the world will persecute them. There was the one in Paragum that needs to repent because they've turned away. There's the one in Theresia that has false prophetesses and no longer follows the word of God. There's the one in Sardis that's fallen asleep. They're not even awake anymore. There's the one in Philadelphia. They, they've endured patiently. They've stayed the course. And there's the one in Laodicea with lukewarm faith. I don't know why it had to be lukewarm. Why couldn't it be Mark warm, John warm? Lukewarm should be like really hot, you know? The point is, is guys, you can say you're the church all you want. Your words don't matter. Your actions do. You need to walk outside those doors and you need to have a game plan for today on how you're getting closer to Him. Don't just talk about it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to get closer to the Lord. I'll read my Bible more. No, go do something today to get closer to Him. Stop living in such a way that you just blend in. 
that no one even knows you're there. You have a relationship with the creator of the universe. You have been handcrafted by God to fulfill a person that no other human being in the history of mankind can fulfill. You have been given the greatest truth, you've been given a life-changing love, and you have a force in you that cannot be defeated by anything. Amen. Then why do you blend in? How are you missed? It's because you've disconnected yourself from that source. A game plan today to get closer to Him. I do not want to see a church that looks the same to next Sunday. Next Sunday, we should be a group of people who are seven days closer to our Lord. Amen. Now, I'll give you one more warning because next week we start to get into all the stuff that ticks everybody off and makes them stop coming to church. Next week, we will talk about sexual immorality. The following week, we will talk about husbands and wives. The week after that, we will talk about raising children. So all the things that really get people upset, God's going to talk about them. And yes, the standards are high. In fact, they're impossible if you're trying to do them yourself. But if you're leaning in Him, they're completely reachable. Now parents, I'll let the teachers know this, but next week since we are talking about sex, I won't get too graphic, but the topic of sex will come up. If you don't feel your children should be in this room listening to it, we will make sure that they can be taken into those rooms. But parents, one thing I will urge you. Most children have seen pornography by the age of 10. So a lot of you have this perception of your kids. Oh, well, that's just way too above them. Make sure they're hearing it from you and from God before they hear it from the world. Amen. You should be the one setting the bar on what that conversation is and what God's wisdom is about that topic. It should not be you having to catch up to where your child's already learned things. You understand that, right? Age of 10. Most of them haven't just talked about sex. They're watching it on TV or on the phone. Get ahead of that. What I'm going to ask you guys to do is before Maria comes up, I want just a couple minutes of right now you to go to your Father God and you talk about your relationship with Him. I want you to truly ask yourself if you've accepted Him not just as your Savior, but as your everyday Lord. Let's just take a few moments where we're at to pray. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come forward with me. In a couple of minutes, Maria will come up and lead us in worship. If you have something on your heart that you need to pray about, feel free to come up and talk with us.